2: You are listening to the Fly the W670 podcast. It's season two. It's episode 52, Cubs All-Star Week. Don't forget to listen, download, review, and most importantly, subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on the socials. Fly the W670 on Twitter and Instagram. Fly the W on Facebook. Email us at flythew670 at gmail.com. And when you reach out, don't forget to reach uh, Crawley. It's his birthday today, so a couple birthday messages. To Crawley would be appreciated. Crawley, happy birthday and uh, happy uh, end of the All-Star festivities.
0: Yeah, you know, I I feel good because the Cubs cannot lose on my birthday and break my heart. So
2: it's all good. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Very good. All right, let's get right into it. So Monday night we had the uh, Home Run Derby. Tuesday we had the uh, All-Star game. But let's get into the uh, Home Run Derby part. It continues to be the most exciting part of the all-star game festivities.
0: Yeah, we, we, uh, we, we had our picks and uh, last time out and I, you know, I got the winner, right. But uh, it it was a crazy all-star game. It was a ton of fun Uh, in the first round Adelaide Rushman, you know, from Baltimore catcher, he sits there and he's just pounding the ball out of there. And then after a timeout near the end of his round, he goes and bats from the other side. So he started left-handed and hit like 21, 22 home runs. And then he flips over and then does another four or five. And you're thinking, oh my God. Uh, right away I was like, uh-oh, I should have picked this guy. But then the White Sox, Luis Robert Jr. comes in and he absolutely demolishes the ball in round one and he beats him 28 to 27 to advance to the second round. Yeah, that was a
2: fun, that was a fun matchup. The, the beginning of it was fun. Um, I enjoyed most of it, but it does get very drawn out.
0: Yeah, I, I love it. I it, to me, it's my favorite event. So uh, then you had Adolis Garcia versus Randy Arosa Reyna, and we talked about how Randy loves the you know the bright lights, and he, he did loves not the lights. disappoint. Yes, he man. does.
2: He loves the lights.
0: He did not disappoint. He takes that round twenty four seventeen. Although Adolis Garcia, I thought he should have gone to the bullpen. His whoever was pitching to him was awful. Uh, Mookie Betts, you know, God bless his heart for you know giving it a try, but going up against Vladimir Guerrero. 26 to 11. It wasn't even close. I kind of felt bad for Mookie. I was like, just let this end. He's just
2: not built for it. Mookie Betts is a great baseball player. He's not built for
0: home run derby. No. But one guy that is, is Pete Alonso. He puts up 21. Everything's looking good. But, I mean, I mean, he had to go up against Julio Rodriguez, who knocks him out for the second year in a row. Julio put on a show in front of the hometown. 41 home runs, Dustin. A new record. And he was just, it was unrelieving. Pete Alonzo comes out from under the tunnel. He's lifting weights. He's in the batting cage. He's got to get 41 home runs. That's just not happening.
2: Yeah, it's just a huge, huge number. And uh, he was uh, pretty generous about uh, congratulating him and, and wishing him well. But, yeah, he definitely put on a uh, a uh, definite show for the hometown folk.
0: Now, second round, you had Luis Robert versus Randy Rosarena. I thought for sure. The way that Robert just it looked like such an easy swing th- that he has, his home run swing. But Randy Rosarena gets 35 home runs to knock Robert out in a huge upset. And then Vladimir Guerrero Jr. versus Julio Rodriguez. Julio made a mad dash at the end, but Vladimir Guerrero's 21 home runs will hold up. I think Julio just gassed himself out in the first round.
2: Yeah, a little too much. He uh, didn't need to go that far, but he didn't know, right? He went first, so there's no telling, um, like, okay, I can take it easy because I passed him. It is kind of the benefit of going second in this matchup.
0: Right. And then in the finals, Vladimir Guerrero versus Randy Rosarena. Uh Guerrero gets 25, and it looked like it was going to hold, but Arena made a late charge, but he just fell short. And just at the end, it was really cool because Vladimir Guerrero goes up them and does Randy's uh, little pose with the crossed arms, man. And it was just so much fun. I, I, I love that event so much. Yeah,
2: it's cool. I, I wonder sometimes, though, you you it's hard to keep track. They're going so fast, right? They're they're hitting the ball out at such break net speed that sometimes you don't know where they're at in the count. Is it this? Is it that? I, I almost and then seeing highlights of the old days, like I was watching Mark McGuire in Boston, right? Sending him over the Green Monster, but it was one at a time because I think back then it was you had to hit until you got 10 outs. Right. You okay, hit yeah. you, you, you hit if you made 10 outs, meaning you didn't get it out of the park, that counted as an out. And then every other hit that went out of the park obviously counted as a home run. So you don't get to see it as much. I think the I think the current version is fantastic for the people that are at the ballpark. I think it's awesome. But I think for television, it might be better with the 10 out format.
0: I think to me, the problem was the announcers. I thought that, uh, and and I know Chris Berman's not the greatest guy in the world. I missed him. It made me miss him. Yes. Yes. That's where I was is I'm like, man, you got to get, you have to get excited about it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You needed some of that. You need, you need some
2: fun. Yes. Some people found it obnoxious. Listen, people hated Joe Buck until Joe Buck went away and you realize how great of an announcer Joe Buck is.
0: Yeah, you know, people are always gonna dislike controversial people. I mean, you know, all the great announcers are—they're they're gonna have their detractors. People didn't like Harry Carey. You know, it's um, it is what it is, man. But in that kind of event, you need to kind of get it, keep it hyped up, and 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 that's what Berman could do—is he could get your excitement built. And I thought that the guys that were announcing it to me were a little dull. And right. then I don't know if anyone else saw this—they gave Bo Bichette a microphone. And he kept going up to talk to Vladimir Guerrero and they kept asking him to say things, but, but Bo Bichette doesn't speak Spanish and he couldn't really do anything. It was like, why did you give this guy a microphone? So yep. I, I thought the, I thought the announcers just left a lot to be desired.
2: Yep. Not nothing's perfect, but, uh, let's get into the actual game itself. So we'll fast forward to uh, Tuesday night national league taking on the American league. And we've only got one, uh, one local guy in the game because, uh, we had the uh, White Sox player get hurt, at least uh, felt a little pop during home run derby. So no uh, no White Sox in this game.
0: Yeah, so, uh, you know, Luis Roberts out. Uh, we talked about Marcus Stroman not, um, not going to the game, and we know about Dansby's injury. So, uh, you know, when, when you looked at the game, the National League won for the first time since 2012, Dustin, over 10 years ago. So they are going to take this one three to two. The AL got on the board in the bottom of the second when Tampa Bay Ray outfielder Yandy Diaz hit a solo home run. NL answers back in the top of the fourth. Luis Arias continues to hit every ball thrown near him. He hits an RBI single to score J.D. Martinez to tie it at one. Bo Bichette hit a sack fly to score Salvador Perez to put the AL back up two to one. But in the bottom of the eighth, Elias Diaz, journeyman catcher, who at age 32 is playing in his first All-Star game. He takes Felix Diaz deep on a two-run homer to put the NL up 3-2. to That would be the final, and Diaz would be named the MVP, the first Rocky player to ever win the award. But, Dustin, like we talked about on the last show, you know, the pitching's so good, it usually comes, you know, it's the defense. There were some really great, defensive plays in the game. Obviously in the first inning, Adolis Garcia makes a phenomenal play and Randy Rosarena makes one both at the wall. I thought that it was phenomenal, but as far as offense, there's just never really much offense.
2: No, not much offense. That, uh, that's what uh, kind of stinks, right? There's not a whole lot of, not a whole lot of offense. Um, it's got a, it's got an unbelievable streak of going under. Um, there's barely any runs in this game. And uh, so that's a little bit disappointing. But these pitchers, you know, basically everybody's coming out and they're acting like a closer, right? They just lean back, give it all they have, which is cool, I guess. But I, I'm, kind of a, I'm kind of a guy that likes to see the ball put into action, ball put into play a little bit more um, than it was. And um, let me just say, I hated those National League uniforms. They were Ugh. awful. Ugh. I mean, a dark blue with some, like, hint of camo with dark black pants. I mean, the the players were almost unidentifiable, unidentifiable you couldn't tell who they were. You had to be a hardcore baseball person to know who that was. I get a special hat. I understand that sell some caps. Okay. So you're, you're a, you're a a guy who likes to buy stuff from different, different things. I can get a, a baseball cap and, but you don't need these special jerseys. Looks awful. Who who come on, Crawley? Seriously, do you know who buys this stuff?
0: I, there, there are people that buy it and there's collectors and then they get them signed and stuff like that. Here's what I would say is that I am someone that's of the preference. I like the jerseys. I thought the jerseys looked good. Whoever picked out the pants for the National League, navy blue and black, has to be colorblind. That was absolutely the worst. It was just terrible. It was a terrible combination. Worst combination. I'm one I, I am one who believes I like I prefer the jerseys. And let the teams wear their team hats. That's what I like.
2: So opposite of what I, exactly opposite of what I said. But at least then, it's a little easier to identify who the heck is who.
0: Right. And so, you know. Especially the
2: pitchers. I really had a hard time with the pitchers.
0: Right. So I think if they had the team hats, that that would be my thing. I thought the jerseys looked really cool. I thought, like I said, I don't know who picked the pants out. They should have been Navy and Navy. You know what I mean?
2: Right. Right. I think just it would have looked a, bad, a lot cooler. Yeah, just a bad, just a bad combo overall. Not, not much of a game until until late,
0: right? Right. And 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 the thing that Cup fans were waiting for, Justin Steele comes in the bottom of the fifth. He pitched a scoreless inning. Adolis Garcia let off with the inning with a fly out to right. Austin Hayes lined one to single. That's the only hit he gave up. And then Steele got Josh Young to ground out softly to third base. Uh, third baseman from the Braves, Matt Olson, made a great play to throw him out. And then Justin struck out Joanna Haim to end the inning. So uh, it was really a lot of fun seeing Justin enjoying himself and, and uh, being able to be, have that all-star experience. And his uh, birthday, right. And his birthday, his birthday, his son's first birthday, his fiance was out there. His family was out there. So for Justin, um, just, just a tremendous honor and, and I've had a chance to meet Justin's family His you know, his brother, his uh, son and, and, his, and his fiance. They're just such great people, man. And, and I was so happy for them.
2: Yep, very, very cool. I was surprised, though, and it got really kind of under-reported. Any surprise? We knew Marcus Stroman wasn't going to, to be in the game playing. We knew Dansby Swanson wasn't going to be in the game playing. We assumed Marcus Stroman was not going to show up. But Dansby saw Swanson quietly, not out there at all, and I was a little bit surprised. I'm not necessarily ticked, but I
0: am surprised he wasn't there. Uh, I, I'm not, I, I just, when you're injured, you just take that chance to get healthy. And then, so, you know, I, am not that surprised, but uh, you know, I, I just want these guys to get healthy and be ready to play come the second half.
2: All right. Let's take a listen to Crawley's interview with WGN sports, Josh Friedman from a
0: behind the scenes look at the all-star festivities from Monday and Tuesday. And joining me live from the Seattle airport. I'm with WGN's Josh Friedman. Josh, how you doing, buddy?
3: What's up, Crawley? This is becoming like a, uh, an annual thing, me talking to you on my way back from the All-Star game at the airport. I like it.
0: I, I like it, too, man. And, and I got to tell you, it, um, it, it seemed like it was a great time out there. Seattle seemed like a great host city, like if Chicago would get an All-Star game one of these days. But it looked like you had a blast out there.
3: I, I did, man. And look, I had never been to Seattle before, so this is my first time experiencing the city. And it was brilliant between the weather and just the um, accessibility. The stadiums are right on the water, both uh, baseball stadium, T-Mobile Park and Lumen Field with the Seahawks play. So really a pristine, like beautiful, um, just, you know, atmosphere there. And, you know, as far as the game, um, you couldn't ask for, for better weather last night. And, and I was told, you know, by someone besides San Diego, Seattle, as this time of year, the best weather in the United States and it was 75 and sunny. And you saw that in uh, the pictures last night at the game and, um, totally true. I mean, Chicago is still number one summer city, obviously. I think we can agree on that, but Seattle definitely giving it a run for its money, you hear all about the, uh, the rain and the, the cloudiness and they get that the rest of the year, but this is the time to, to have an event like this. So, uh, really a first class city that I was glad to experience.
0: When did you get to Seattle? When did you arrive?
3: I got there Sunday late afternoon. So the draft had probably just started. Um, so we weren't covering the draft here. So I got here Sunday evening-ish, around five. And so I got to explore a little bit Sunday night. And then Monday, Tuesday, just was kind of working from the morning onto the, the evening, um, which was uh, you know fun to go to the Home Run Derby. We talked to all the players Monday afternoon at the ball field. So, um, you know, obviously we had three Cubs. Only one was there, which was disappointing. But obviously – with Swanson being injured and Stroman electing not to come, it was the Justin Steele show. So he got all the spotlight for us, and I was also covering Luis Robert Jr. and then um, I had a few other uh, players as well um, that we had to cover for our affiliates. So it was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, I was going to ask you because, like I said, you know, it, it looks so much fun. You saw a couple teams like you know Atlanta and and uh, it was a bunch of others that had like a bunch of guys teammates together. While while you know, poor Justin Steele's on his own. It looked like he had a good time though.
3: He did, yeah. You know, and it was it was his birthday, which if you're talking about like having the the perfect experience when it's you know your birthday and your son's birthday, Bo, he turned one. So to be able to, you know, have that and share it with family. His fiance Libby was there. We caught up with them on the red carpet. They have this, you know, huge red carpet event that is um, you know it's a fashion show right you see some pictures right there of, of justin um looking pretty good obviously and it's funny that they have this red carpet show in the middle of all the all-star festivities but they dressed Bo up in the little bow tie that was adorable and the guys you know they have a, a great time because they can show off their families and all the people that were there Luis robert was with 12 people for instance you know friends and family in his entourage so justin uh, you know his parents were here as well uh he had siblings and obviously uh, Libby and Bo to share it with, and he was. Um, I really, you know, feel like he was soaking it all in. When I've gotten to know Justin a little bit over the years, he's pretty, you know, um, even keel, laid back. You know, he's got that, you know, rural Georgia kind of feel about him, just like super humble. And he was opening up more than I have really talked to him over the last couple of days, just about getting this experience and how having been through, you know, a lot of adversity. Drafted out of high school in 2014, took him nine years to get to this point, which. You know, look, um, he's still just 28 years old, but at the same time, when you th- feel like you're 18 to start your pro career, getting to this point a decade later feels like a really long journey. At Tommy John and the minors, missed all of 2020 because of the pandemic. So, a lot of hurdles to overcome. Made it to the big leagues, obviously, a couple of years ago, then really emerged uh, really the last full calendar year up until last, like midsummer until now. I think he's the best pitcher in baseball by a lot of statistics. So, really deserving of this. And I think he was really enjoying it we spoke to him after his appearance last night in the game and you know he told me you know the goosebumps coming out of the field feeling that adrenaline because he doesn't come out on the bullpen very often but to have that uh experience and to do on his birthday was just uh, something he'll never forget
0: yeah you know and I've had the chance to interview Justin myself and and just a very humble kid like you said and I felt like when I was watching you guys interview him that emotion was kind of it was almost like a realization of you know i it, all that work, everything you've been through, whether it was the injuries, whether it was the pandemic season, whether it was everything, this was finally it, man. And it was the culmination of all that work for all those years to be among baseball's best players. And, and you just saw a smile ear to ear on that kid.
3: <laughs> totally. And, and look, we, we forget sometimes that these are human beings and 34 of the All-Stars were first-time All-Stars. And so to be able to experience this, and I think the coolest part for a lot of guys is seeing some of their idols. You know, Clayton Kershaw is Steele's idol. And he had already met him and talked to him when they played L.A. So he was like, I kind of already did that. But able to be able to be on the same team, even though Kershaw wasn't playing, um, is a special moment for Steele. And just interacting with a lot of these guys, they, you know, with interleague play, they play everyone now. So it's not as unique to maybe face a guy from the American League West, for instance, but at the same time when someone on the Diamondbacks is your teammate or the Marlins or Braves or other teams that you don't get to see very often outside of the division, it's pretty cool. And, you know, for, for, Steele, he mentioned, you know, Austin Riley's also from a very uh, similar area in uh, Georgia as him. And that uh, I believe he said like when they were in high school, Riley was like an exceptional athlete that he, he knew about. And he made that great play at third base during Steele's inning. So just to uh, experience that and have a little moments afterwards uh, with Riley, it's those little things that I think makes the baseball midsummer classic super special. And I think that's why fans continue to tune in.
0: Yeah, you know, you know, a small town, Lucidale, Mississippi. I mean, you you look at this kid and and it it's just funny how far he's come. And and I will tell you something. I, I love that him and Bo and I love I love the all-star, I love the home run derby because all the you know, players and their families, the kids, they're all sitting there just watching the show. And it just seemed like that stadium was absolutely electric especially the performance that julio rodriguez put on i mean that had to have been goosebumps for you over there
3: (laughs) yeah and thanks for correcting me mississippi i get my southern states wrong a lot so Uh, mississippi obviously not not georgia um but but yeah the home run derby you know the hometown kid hitting 41 in the first round setting a new record that was incredible and we've seen julio do this now two years in a row have incredible first rounds and then ultimately not win the thing but that's the nature of this, uh, this tournament with the, the you know, knockout round style of the bracket. But that was electric. And then last night at the game, I thought the coolest part was when Shohei came up and the fans started chanting, come to Seattle. And Shohei acknowledged that after the game, too. He said, I love Seattle. It's been a great city. So, you know, maybe starting to get the, you know, uh, a little bit of the um, crumbles, uh, tea leaves, if you will, of what's going to happen in his free agency. But he can do that for all uh, 29 other teams, I think, because everyone's going to want Shohei Otani. There's probably only going to be really four or five realistic destinations for him. But, um, but, yeah, I think those moments definitely stood out. That first inning when the two, you know, catches in the outfield by Rosarito and Garcia and, you know, the fun that they, they have together, um, that was really cool, too.
0: And, and and you know, when you think about it, when Shohei first came here, Chicago was the only team he took a meeting with that was not on the West Coast. So when you take a look at what Shohei wants, obviously, there's going to be money involved, but he wants to go for a winner. He spoke during the All-Star break about losing and losing sucks. And so, you know, Seattle was in the playoffs last year. They got some pretty good young players in there. And then, you know, when you, when you talk uh, you know, a West Coast team, again, it makes travel easier from Japan, so... Like mm-hmm. you said, looking into the tea leaves, you wonder, you know, if that wasn't just the perfect yeah. moment for Seattle, you know?
3: It's possible, yeah. I can see, you know, look, Seattle obviously with, with Ichiro being here for as long as he was um, from 2001 on, you know, they have that history with Asian players and be able to to show that this is a, a city that can support, you know, great baseball players and teams. I think that's a possibility. Look, you know, we me, me and you would both love the Cubs to get Shohei. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. I would be very surprised if the Rickets open up a blank check and it's probably going to be close to a half a billion dollars. And, you know, if it comes down to money, I think Steve Cohen's going to offer the most. I, I would be surprised if that's not the case, but does Shohei want to play in New York? Does he want to stay in LA? Does he want to put, I think the Dodgers are to me, the front runner. Um, does he want to go and stay in the West coast and go up to Seattle? Um, or would he be happy in the Midwest and play with, you know, uh, one of his buddies in San Suzuki. I, I think that we don't ultimately know that, but um, I, I don't think, <laughs> unfortunately, that, that the Cubs are going to be um, right now an option for him. But I could totally be wrong. Maybe they make a run in the second half and convince me that they're ready to compete next year.
0: Now I know that you missed the futures game was on Saturday. Did you have a chance to see Pete Crow Armstrong or talk to him at all?
3: No, because we got here Sunday. But you know, I, when we talked last year, I think I remember you know speaking to you about. Um, my experience with Pico Armstrong because I, I went to uh, South Bend at the time he was there playing for the Cubs and got to talk to him. Um, he's he's a confident dude for sure. <laughs> you know, he knows he knows his skill set, but you know growing up in a family of actors and kind of being in you know almost like getting media training in a way, he knows what uh, it's like even though he is still super young. Um, the defensive plays and just uh, the ability to, to run the bases. You're seeing some of the, the triples he's legged on this year, the highlight reels. Um, that is to me um, what makes him MLB ready right away. Those things are going to be there, whether he can hit um, – for a high enough average and, and power at this point in his trajectory that remains to be seen, but he's only in double A, So I think Cubs fans are eager for his promotion to, to Iowa. I think it'll happen before the end of this year. And then, um, you know, we'll see what happens with, um, with his trajectory to the big leagues. I, I expect him to be here in Chicago next year. I don't know if that's going to be breaking camp with the, with the team. Um, certainly if they let Cody Bellinger go or they trade him at the deadline center field's open. And that was kind of the, uh, the idea I think behind giving Bellinger a one-year flyer deal not locking that position down because they know what they have in PCI he's going to be the future of that position for
0: sure absolutely so we got the futures game the home run derby the all-star game what else is there out there for someone that's hoping to go to an all-star game or maybe attend when it comes to Chicago
3: yeah and, and look the fact that Wrigley hasn't hosted in what uh 33 years uh which is pretty crazy in my mind Seattle last hosted in 2001 so they've gotten it obviously more recently here. Uh, It's going to be in Arlington next year and then Philly the year after that. So the earliest the Cubs could see it is 2027 or 2026, I should say. So, yeah, it's – I don't see why it's not back at Wrigley, um, especially since the renovations. The Ricketts kind of said once we do all these renovations, we want to have an all-star game. I think that makes perfect sense because it wasn't really accessible with the smaller – Ballpark and, and and everything that that was there before, um, and the neighborhood, as you know, is totally transformed. So I think it would be super accommodating to all the fans that would come in for the All Star game. But um, but yeah, there there was a really cool event Friday uh, that Ken Griffey Jr. helped put on, which uh, is HBCU Classic. So um, that was, from what I understand, a really cool event to go to. They have this this play ball free events at Lumen Field where the Seahawks play across the street. So there's there's tons of things for fans that aren't shelling out $300 to go to the all-star game, right? There's fun, free things for them to do, and that's in every city. And, you know, I went to LA last year, and it's just a different experience because Dodger Stadium, it's not really around anything. It's traffic nightmare. Seattle, yeah, there's traffic, but, like, you are staying in the nearby hotels. And if you could, if you wanted to, you could walk there. We took a media shuttle, and it was about a mile away. But it's just super accessible to other things, the stadium and where that, where that is. I, I think Arlington's going to be similar to Dodger Stadium last year because I think the ballpark, I've never been, but from what I understand, I have friends that have gone. It's, it's not really close to anything either. Um, so we'll see if I get lucky enough to, to go next year. I'm curious to see how uh, how it plays out. But, you know, the all-star festivities, there's so much more for fans to do besides attend the game and the home run derby. If I was a fan, I'd probably want to go to the derby if I had the choice of one of the two. I just think that's pretty cool to be able to sit in the outfield and just, you know, hopefully shag balls, get a, get a few opportunities to get a home run ball. And um, I think that, excitement level is a little bit more sustained than watching a, a three hour game that, you know, most of the guys you don't even know, these relievers coming in from different teams. And so it could be a little bit of a slog, but last night was fun. It was competitive. It was, it was a close game throughout.
0: All right. If you have one memory that you're walking away with from the 2023 all-star game, what's the thing you think is going to resonate or stick with you the most?
3: Eating grasshoppers. <laughs> so I don't know if you knew that, but Seattle, they have grasshoppers as one of the concession items and i remember years ago like maybe 2019 before the pandemic it was a big thing because they put it on the menu and people were trying it and i was like if i ever get to seattle i gotta try it and i had heard they were not there anymore and i was upset and i'm walking by one of the concessions near the press box and they offer grasshoppers i'm like i gotta do it so it's this little container and I've described them as like a salty, crunchy, almost like a sunflower seed. You would never know it's a bug unless they told you honestly. Like it's not like the head is really sticking out. They're, they're um, I don't know exactly how they are are made once they they have the the grasshopper or like what the process is. I'm sure it's it's fried up and it's you know not as healthy as <laughs> is eating like an, uh, you know something from from nature like an insect. But it was good and I, I grossed a few people out because I tried. Uh, to get them to eat it. And they were not happy, Um, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. And it was uh, definitely one of the highlights is, is trying that for sure.
0: Well, Josh, appreciate you coming on. Would you tell our listeners where they can follow you on social media and where they can see your work?
3: yeah absolutely buddy thanks again for the invite uh social media twitter is uh josh underscore friedman it's right there on the, the handle uh, no track mark anymore because I, I think you know it's what you know what happens with twitter i'm on threads i guess too um though not i uh i haven't really fully adapted it but um you can watch us on on wgn each night we got gn sports 10:30 p.m on uh, monday through sunday every day of the week i'm on wednesday thursday friday saturday so Um, A good amount of time to to share, you know, baseball, football. It's coming up with the training camp, all the Northwestern stuff breaking. So we're on top of it all with our sports team. So really appreciate you having us on.
0: Absolutely, Josh. You take care and have a safe flight home, buddy.
3: All right, Crowley. Appreciate it, bud. Presented by T-Mobile,
1: the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today.
2: You are listening to the Fly the W 670 podcast. It's season two. It's episode 52, Cubs All-Star Week. Don't forget to listen, download, review, and subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. In this segment, Crawley interviews Brian Smith of Bleacher Nation to break down a complete list of the
0: Cubs 2023 MLB draft. Joining me now on the Fly the W podcast, not only has it been All-Star weekend, but we had the MLB draft, and who better to talk about the Cubs picks than Brian Smith? You can find him on Twitter at Cubs Prospects, and you can read his work at Bleacher Nation. Brian, had to have been an exciting uh, weekend for you, week actually.
1: Yeah, it's it's one of those fun times where like you know they're just going to have, you know, there's sort of nothing, um, there's really nothing next. I know it's easy to critique draft picks and stuff like that, but we, you know, we don't, we certainly don't know as much as the Cub Scouts and you know, we know that the Cubs walked away from these three days uh, thinking their farm systems better. So that's exciting.
0: So we're down, we have 20 rounds of the draft, correct? And yes. when you do this, it was kind of interesting because the Cubs lost a pick, but they gained a mm-hmm. pick. Explain to our listeners what I'm talking about here.
1: Sure. So when the Cubs signed Dansby Swanson, uh, what ends up happening for that uh, is they lose their second round pick as a result of that. You know, he was offered a qualifying offer by the Braves as, you know, just a procedural move basically. Uh, And then when he signed with the Cubs that cost them their second round pick. On the other hand, Wilson Contreras was offered a qualifying offer by the Cubs when he signed with the Cardinals the Cubs get a pick at the end of the second round. And the reason that happens is because they're a big market team. Small market teams get get their pick at the end of the first round. Cubs get it after the second. So essentially going from um, Wilson Contreras to Dansby Swanson costs the Cubs about 20 uh, slots in the second round. So, you know, a relatively minor drop in the grand scheme of things.
0: A relatively minor drop, but I still hope Theo does something to fix that ridiculousness of the Cardinals know. being a yeah. You know, that's that that's just silly here. But when it we is. take a look at the draft, and I'm just going to put the whole board up at first here. um, yeah. You know, it seemed to me that when you look at everything that they took, it seems like they went really heavy with college as opposed to high school players this year. Wouldn't you agree?
1: Yeah, and it's it's not. It doesn't look like the drafts that they've had the last couple of years with Dan Kantrovitz uh, at the helm as scouting director for the Cubs. They, you know, I think they drafted a lot more for upside, like raw, raw upside the last couple of years. This is more of a draft that it kind of looked like for the Cubs in the mid 2010s, getting some college players. You know, yeah, there's plenty of upside in that list. And, you know, we'll kind of go through some of those names, I think. But uh, I think when they looked at this class, they really liked the college side of it better. And, uh, I think it appeals to them because they have a much sort of safer projection on some of the guys they got.
0: Right. And, and, you know, they seem to go heavy pitching again, uh, you know, uh, which again, you never can have too many pitchers, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, not certainly not as extreme as last year when they went 17 pitchers and, you know, I mean, willing to draft a bunch of players that they knew weren't even going to play this year, which was, a, which was a unique strategy. Uh, At least this year, they, I think they looked at the lower levels of the farm system and they started to see that it's getting a little thin on the hitting side. So those first eight rounds, they really were kind of hitter heavy, but yeah, when they get to day three, you know, I think they really trust their R and D team to identify pitchers. And so that's sort of their, that's the place I think they feel the most safe and the most um, able to find inefficiencies in the market.
0: And I saw some people upset because, you know, of course they're always going to be upset, but you take a look Mm -hmm. at the Cubs when you're looking at your, you know, you got one, two, three shortstops, like in the first two rounds. But I mean, that's what, they're always your best athletes, right? It it doesn't mean they're going to necessarily end up at shortstop.
1: Yeah, I mean you know Chris Bryant played shortstop for his high school team. You know I mean the essentially what you're going to what you're going to do at those levels is you're going to put your best athlete at shortstop. So when you see the Cubs get shortstops whether it's through the draft or through international free agency where it seems like the Cubs always will like spend the most money on shortstops, it's just it's it's not where they're going to end up. It just means that they got an athlete, and, you know, in the case of those three players we're talking about, like they got three athletes.
0: I thought uh, Brian, we'd go through the first five picks because those are the ones yeah. that everybody really gets excited about. And then, I, you know, I just kind of want your opinion on who you think may be some really good value picks that the Cubs had. So yep. number one, yeah. we got from Maryland, Matt Shaw, shortstop with the 13th pick. What can you tell us about Matt Shaw?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think Matt Shaw is kind of a throwback to how the Cubs drafted when they drafted, you know, the Brian Schwarber Happiers. I mean, they just what they did is they identified a guy that that hits all the time. I mean, he was the MVP of the Cape Cod League last year. He was the Big 10 player of the year. Just a guy that that all he does is hit the baseball and on top of it like pretty good athlete, probably not a shortstop, I think, you know, I think he'll move off shortstop almost immediately uh and try a little second base, try a little third base but um really really strong kid um, and a, and a really nice swing uh, knows what he's do- doing at the plate does not panic and uh, yeah he's a he's a really good addition to the system and somebody I think that could move pretty fast
0: um, now was there any issue I heard with his arm maybe not being super strong or
1: yeah, it's, it's definitely not strong. It's his lightest tool. I think there are some people that say that third base, you know, that that's going to push him off shortstop and that it makes third base not even possible. You know, the Cubs organization is kind of a funny one to look at that because, you know, Dansby Swanson's weakest tool is the strength of his throwing arm. Nico Horner drafted, had a weak throwing arm. That's gotten stronger since he was in the Cubs system. And I mean, hell, the Cubs played Nick Madrigal at third base. So like, I'm not going to write off the possibility that that Matt Shaw, who's a good athlete that moves well laterally, can just figure it out at third base. I think it's I think it's certainly possible, especially when you know he gets in a pro strength and conditioning program and and works on that arm strength.
0: Yeah, like you said, if you get Nick Magical to play third, you can get anyone to play third. Yeah, no. uh, Jackson Wiggins, right-handed pitcher from Arkansas Razorback. Uh oh, that you know that. So I think doesn't Justin Steele? He's a big. I think is he. Arkansas? No, he's at he's Alabama, Alabama. Alabama. Yep. But uh 2C pick sixty-eight. What can you tell us about this young pitcher?
1: Yeah, I mean the Cubs have looked at this particular program really hard the last couple of years. I think they've drafted four players from Arkansas in the last two or three years. Um, so it's a program they really like. It's a program that that, that area scout Ty Nichols knows really well. Um And Jackson Wiggins had Tommy John at the beginning of this year. So he's going to miss this entire year, probably a delayed start to next season. But I think, you know, given the Cubs familiarity with the, with that program, I think in the weeks before his injury, I bet you Ty Nichols saw some stuff that other organizations didn't, I think, you know, saw some 98s with the fastball, but probably more importantly saw a lot of development in terms of command and secondary stuff. And I think the Cubs, think that they got a really undervalued player that was destined to be a first round pick. If he'd stayed healthy.
0: That's that, you know, and, and again, who doesn't have Tommy John nowadays, it feels like, you yeah. know what I mean,
1: <laughs> because I mean the Cubs are really comfortable with like getting through the Tommy John process with their players. If you look at last year's draft picks, you know, I want to say there's four guys already that that are going through the Tommy John process. It just doesn't intimidate the Cubs. I think they think it, it's actually a way to find undervalued players that, you know, the market might be scared off by the Tommy John surgery and the Cubs feel good about the rehab process they have in Mesa for those guys.
0: Right. Now with the third round pick from the university of Florida, Josh Rivera shortstop, what do we know about Josh?
1: Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite picks in the draft, like a a guy that broke out this year in a huge way would have been a higher draft pick if he wasn't a senior seniors, college seniors drop in the draft a little bit, mostly because they just don't have the leverage that a college junior has. Uh, if he was a junior, you know, probably a guy who gets some first round pick consideration um, really like physical, strong shortstop, good body. But I think a guy that, you know, probably can stick at shortstop in the long run as well. Um, broke out this year after not, after struggling a little bit in his first couple of years. So, you know, I think if you're looking optimistic You think about a guy like Jeremy Pena, who was a guy who kind of struggled in college, found his power stroke a little later into his sort of like early to mid-20s, that 23 to 25 range, and then has been a stud for the Astros since. And, you know, I think that's the kind of player the Cubs think they got here.
0: Nice. Wouldn't mind a Jeremy Pena on the Cubs, I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Fourth round, number pick number 113 out of South Carolina. Will Sanders, what do we know about this right-handed pitcher?
1: Yeah. I mean, the Cubs clearly like just big bodies. If you're six foot five and can throw in the nineties, the, you know, the Cubs are interested And you know, Will Sanders is six foot six uh, could have been a first round pick this year. If he really, if he really pitched well, uh, did not pitch particularly well. So I think the Cubs are, are going to try to find more of the the guy they saw in fall ball. um, And even a little bit last season, they're going to try to sort of rediscover some of that stuff. I know will uh, fought through some injuries this year so I think the Cubs think if we get him back to that that point he was at a year ago then you know we probably got a second round pick value in the fourth round um, and you know I mean anytime you can do that that's a win
0: and I think that kind of leads us to an important point is that there's two things that you kind of take a look at two, two, two sides of the coins the scouting part and the development part right yes and so it's kind of like oh well he didn't have a good year da 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 but but if they see something in a guy they they trust their system
1: yes yeah i mean he's he's a guy that's given up a ton of home runs in college and that's been a real problem and i think what they see is that he throws way too many low 90s flat fastballs and i think the cubs have a lot of confidence that what they can do is they can move a guy from the low 90s to the mid 90s through their velocity program and then through, you know, the work they do in labs and things like that, they can slightly, slightly alter the grip he has on his fastball. And what that's going to do is is sort of, you know, if they do it right, it's going to add ride and life to that pitch, which then will make it play better up in the zone. And instead of guys hitting home runs, they they end up swinging under it. So, yeah, the Cubs are not afraid to tackle a project, especially on the pitching side these days. They really believe in their in their pitching player development infrastructure.
0: All righty. And then in the fifth round, Michael Carrico, catcher from Davidson. In the fifth round, pick 149. What does Michael provide for the Cubs?
1: Yeah, I mean, he's he's your guy that, like, his numbers – Hayden McGeary was a guy the Cubs drafted last year, that when the Cubs drafted him, you looked up his college numbers and they looked like, you know, straight out of a video game. And Hayden's been able to translate it really well this year. If you look up Michael's numbers at Davidson, it's the same thing. Just looks like a video game, 500 on baseball for such stuff. Um, This year, I think he probably could have been well if this year went uh, a little different. Um, Breaking his wrist, and so he didn't get much time to show scouts uh, his catching, but everybody knows that he can hit. And if you read Dan Kantrovitz's quotes after the draft, I think the Cubs through previous years do have confidence that he could stick a catcher. So, um, you know, it it could, I think it's one of the best picks in the draft they have. You watch video of him, you're going to like it, Crawley, because when he hits home runs, his finish reminds me so much of Miguel Montero and, you know, (laughs) such a fun, that's a fun swing to have around and watch every day.
0: Oh, absolutely, man! Uh, the, the, now you got me excited even more. So you got a <laughs> yeah. catcher who a catcher who hits like Miggy. Yeah, that's my guy. Now, now I'm putting a little star next to him. <laughs> yeah. And so those are the ter- top five uh, draft picks that the Cubs had. And so yeah. again, there, there's 20 rounds, and I didn't want to go through all 20. <laughs> yeah. But if you take a look, we look at the top five. Now, between six and twenty, give me three guys that you're just sitting here, and you're like, "This could be a steal keep keep your eye on this guy right here
1: sure, yeah, I mean the the first name that I would go for is their eleventh round pick, Zaire Hope is his name, um and I think we heard in the last twelve hours that that Zaire is gonna sign. he was late commitment to North Carolina, a guy that popped late in the season. And I think a lot of teams saw that commitment to North Carolina and just thought, Oh, we're not going to be able to sign him. Uh, You know, credit to the Cubs for sticking on there to, to get a bonus number that they were comfortable with. And, you know, it looks uh, we still got three weeks until these signings are going to be official, but it looks like it's going to get done. You watch tape on Zaire. And, I mean, his bat absolutely explodes through the zone. Uh, a guy who has a lot of present strength, but also a lot of projection. He's a project. It's going to take a few years, but uh, you can't teach physicality, and uh, he, he's got plenty of it. So he he's the guy I think – I would not be shocked if he's, like, the second best player from this draft class, And but, you know, it might take five years to get there.
0: And I think sometimes people have to be aware, and, and obviously with Justin Steele making the All-Star game – and he's ta- Justin talked about it. I've heard a lot of Cubs executives talk about with especially with pitching, but it's not linear. You know what I mean? Especially when you're right. taking these guys out of high school. Uh, Justin Steele, what 2014 was a draft pick, he finally makes an all star game about nine years later. This is gonna, exactly. you know, you may not hear Zaire coming in two years, but someone to keep an eye on.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, another player that I'd highlight is the 10th round pick. Uh, you know, we talk about a pitcher now, Luis Martinez Gomez. Is a guy out of junior college in Texas, Um, and if you look up his numbers, he had two junior college seasons at two different schools. They are not particularly impressive numbers. He had a six ERA as a freshman at a college in California. He struck out less than eight batters per nine innings at the at the junior college in Texas last year. But then you watch tape, and you're like, man, it's one of the quick. It's it is the quickest arm that the Cubs drafted this year. Uh, A guy with some projection left, you know definitely going to be throwing in the mid nineties with the Cubs. And it gets back to what we were talking about with their pitching development. They think they can change like two things pretty easily. And it's going to take those strikeout numbers from below average to way above average. And uh, I'm excited to see as a guy who just sort of nerds out on the process of player development, I'm excited to see how they tackle him.
0: All right. And one more guy, who else you got?
1: All right. I will do uh, the seventh round pick who Melendez. Who's a shortstop out of Puerto Rico. Uh, He's a fun one. He's, he's listed at six foot three, 165 pounds. You know, you almost don't even believe it's 165. He looks like he's more like 150 pounds right now. Um, (laughs) So what's going to happen with him is like, he's going to live in Arizona for pretty much the next two years. Cubs are going to put him on a program to add weight to, you know, both like, eat as many calories a day as you possibly can and then work out in the strength room as much as you can as well. And, you know, we get to like the 20, I mean, what are we talking about? I guess we get to the 2025 season and that's when the Cubs will just start working on baseball skills again. Like, I mean, it really is going to be, I think, that extreme where it's going to be just strength and conditioning, strength and conditioning. And then like we could wake up in 2025 and the Cubs could have this kid who's six foot four and 185 pounds, but, you know, super twitchy who play, who could still play up the middle and then they'd start teaching them power. So that's, that's a fun project that, you know, the likelihood is it doesn't go anywhere, but every once in a while those guys hit and those are the really fun ones.
0: And, and I think people need to understand is that the Cubs more and more, you know, one of the first organization really starting to use their head on this, but they're keeping guys around in Arizona to, to make sure that they're getting the right nutrition, to make sure that they are um, working out and have the best facilities to work out in. And, and, and I think Justin Steele was just there this, this last spring guys are sticking around and they're working there with the, under the eyes of the coaches, under the eyes of the trainers, under the eyes of the nutritionists. And I I feel like that's going to, we're just starting to scratch the surface on the dividends that's going to pay.
1: Yeah, what what you see the really smart organizations doing right now is putting their best coaches at their complex level, and the reason you do that is is kind of twofold. One, that's the place where you're going to have the prospects that are the most raw that you can that you can teach skills to. That like they're so early, it's like you know you're avoiding the old dog new trick uh, situation that you get in maybe AA. So you're just you're just sort of molding clay at that point. The other thing that happens is that's where all the guys who are injured go for rehab. So those coaches now can affect two different sets of players. They can tackle the lowest-level guys, and then they can help the guys that are working back from injury. Uh, so it's, it's a place, I think, where if you're a really smart organization, you put your best coaches. And Tony Kuggle uh, was moved to, to Arizona this year, one of the Cubs' best pitching coaches the last few years, He's running the program there, and I, I think uh, the Cubs really value Tony a lot.
0: Well, you know, you gave us a lot to think about, a lot to get excited about, and so now it's just a, b- a matter of a waiting game and hoping that these guys develop. Brian, tell our listeners where they can find you on Twitter, where they can read your work.
1: Sure, yeah. I'm, I'm on Twitter at Cub Prospects, CUB Prospects, uh, and my work is at Bleacher Nation. Uh, wrote up all these guys in a lot more detail the last couple of Days. And, uh, you know, I think uh, what I want to mention is that, that Bleacher Nation, it's a big month for them. Every July, Brett Taylor raises a bunch of money for the Make a Wish Foundation uh, through the BN blogathon. So, you know, I'd love for people to take a look at what Brett's doing. And one thing I'm going to try to do in the next week or so is rank the top 50 Cubs prospects and send it to anyone who's interested uh, that ends up donating to the blogathon. So, if you're one of those people, hit me up with a with a message on Twitter, and I'll get you get you my revised list.
0: I always like to try to figure out a good time where Brett is still coherent but not too punchy to get him on the show during the blogathon. So, hopefully, yeah. doing that again this year. Totally. <laughs> well, Brian, appreciate you jumping on. Appreciate your words of wisdom, and we'll be talking to you soon, bud.
1: All right, appreciate you.
2: This is Season 2, Episode 52 of The Fly, the W670 Podcast, Cubs All-Star Week. Also, Crowley's birthday. Crowley, let's take a look at the first half of our Cubs season and preview the upcoming series at Wrigley. They're going to be at Wrigley for quite a while, Crowley. And the first group of games they're going to play is against the Red Sox.
0: Yeah, I'm going to be there Friday night, a rare Friday Friday night
2: game. One or two of those a season now? Yeah,
0: one or two. There's not a lot of them, so... Um, I'm excited, you know, Red Sox, my brother's in town from Colorado. So we're going to be out in the bleachers. So it should be a blast. Absolutely.
2: Um, Looking forward to seeing that game under the lights.
0: Yeah. When you look at the season, you know, we had a lot of high, I I think I said 82, 83 wins was what I was looking at right around there. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's been a tough start so far. It's just been really up and down. So if you look at the month of April, you know, you, the Cubs got onto a really good role. They beat the, you know, the Rangers, Seattle, And then we all got excited. They beat the Dodgers in LA and then they swept Oakland and things were looking, you know, pretty good. They lost to the Dodgers when they came back home, but then they beat the Padres, but then they went on a road trip to end April. And that was when things kind of started to go south. So, you know, when you look at March and April, the Cubs were 14 and 13. So close to, uh, you know, close to 500 on that. And that, you know, that's because at the end, things started to fall apart. But May was awful. They went ten and eighteen in May, and and just really. The, remember, we ended up getting uh, was it ten games under five hundred. They at they one ended, point,
2: yep. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, they they ended the month of April bad against the Marlins. Then they had that awful series against the Nationals, who we know are a bad team. And then they lost. Uh, then they came back. They were able to beat the Marlins in the uh, at Wrigley. But then they lost the series against Cardinals. That was Wilson's return. Then against the Twins, they got swept in the Astros. They lost Bellinger. They lost to the Phillies at Philadelphia. Came back and they beat the Mets, but then they got swept by Cincinnati. That's when Cincinnati gets hot. And then they actually took two or three from the race. So it's just kind of this Jekyll and Hyde team that we've kind of been looking at this entire season. And so, when you like I said, 10 and 18 in the month of May, not great. And then June, once again, up and down, you're, they finished June uh, 16 and 11. So that's when the Cubs came really close. If you remember when we were getting by the London series, they were close to getting back to 500 after being 10 games back. But then another one of those slumps end up happening, and and, and it ends June in a negative way. They, uh, they split with San Diego a four-game. They were swept by the Angels, which was brutal. They took the Giants series. Then they swept the Pittsburgh, then beat the Orioles in a series, and then swept Pittsburgh again. And they were heading to London, and we were on a high. But they split in London. That was the famous play um, when uh, Mancini made the error. And then they got swept by the Phillies, lost to the Guardians to end the month of June. And then they split with the Brewers and won the series with the Yankees. And that's where we are in the first half. You know, Obviously, when you talk about All-Stars, and you've you've seen – Marcus Stroman and Justin Steele do an absolute phenomenal job. You've kind of seen split seasons with uh, Drew Smiley. The first half looked really good. Second half of the first half, not so good. And then you had struggles from Jamison Tyone and the fifth spot. Hayden Wisniewski just really didn't have it. He's working on some things in AAA. But at the same time, you had – you had uh Kyle Hendricks come back and once he started calling his own games, I think he really looked really good. And this looked like a different team, but the issue Dustin, that we keep talking about runners in scoring position. And especially when you kind of take a look at the clutch stat, uh, the Cubs just are not really a very clutch team. If you get what I'm saying, they, they right. just-
2: lack of slug, right. There was power, power numbers are still down. That, that was a, an issue, things that we were worried about as the season started. Um, pitching's been up and down. Bullpen's been up and down. Um, they've been about a 500 team. And I guess at this point, right, I, I think that's now the new goal. I, I think that's what would make make me happy is if they end up about 500. Five, but, you know, 500 might win this division, Crowley. So I think the next – the key is over the next, you know, couple of series and they're staying home – Basically, almost the whole rest of this month, they're not leaving Chicago because they go to they go to the White Sox. Um, this is where we're going to see them make the move or not. Let's take a look. Go ahead. Throw the standings up.
0: Yeah. You got Cincinnati in first place at 50 and 41. They finished 7-3 and three in their last 10. Milwaukee in second place, 49 and 42. We saw the Cubs able to keep up with them, and the Cubs are 42 and 47, five games below 500. You're seeing Pittsburgh start to really slip at 41 and 49. They're 8.5 back, 3 and 7 in their last 10. And then you got St. Louis at 38 and 52. I mean, I know I I should never doubt the devil magic of the St. Louis Cardinals, but I just don't see how they have any possibility of getting back into this one.
2: No, they look pretty much dead and buried. And uh, Pittsburgh, for much of the first half, Crawley was sitting up top. They would had a really bad last four weeks or so, and the Cubs were able to uh, were able to take care of them. All right, now we're taking a look at the uh, upcoming schedule for the rest of the month of July, and it starts off uh, like something
0: the Cubs can make a little noise. I think, right? Boston's a tough team, but but hopefully the Cubs can kind of play them at home well. And then you got Washington. You, you blew it before with them. You, you need to do something here. Um, St. Louis comes in. They've been struggling, but that's a four-gamer. And then, like you said, they don't go anywhere. They're in white, they white; they play the White Sox. Then they, own, they go to St. Louis, which isn't far away, for another four-game series. But August looks a little bit tougher. I don't know what Cincinnati is, but you have Cincinnati, Atlanta, the Mets, Toronto, the White Sox, KC, Detroit, Pittsburgh, Milwaukee. So the first half of August looks a little tough, but the second half looks a little bit easier. So... Let's kind of see what happens, man. You got to go with that first step, and that's uh, the Boston Red Sox. Yep. Let's preview that series, Crowley. It starts off on Friday night.
2: You're going to be you're going to be there, right? You said Friday nights. The yeah. game you're going with your brother. All right, Can't, Very cannot cool. wait. Last right.
0: season, the Red Sox finished a disappointing record of uh, seventy eight and eighty four, finishing last in the AL East. Then in the offseason, the Red Sox made a flurry of moves, but most of them were on the cheap. Their payroll is $30 million less than in 2022. Boston fans do not take well to that. Some key additions, and and one of the really good ones they made was the left fielder Masataka Yoshida. He's having a really good year. They picked up a couple of former Dodgers, right-handed pitcher, closer uh, Kenley Jansen, and third baseman D.H. Justin Turner. Former Cub Chris Martin, who also went to the Dodgers when they traded him, but he was on the team last year, Corey Kluber, right-handed pitcher. You have outfielder Adam Duvall. They picked up left-handed pitcher Jolie Rodriguez, shortstop Adalberto Mondesi, and left-handed pitcher Richard Bleiser. The big loss, though, for the Red Sox was Xander Bogarts, which a lot of people were very upset about. J.D. Martinez is now with the Dodgers. They lost right-handed pitcher Nathan Avaldi, left-handed pitcher Matt Strom, left-handed pitcher Rich Hill, a.k.a. Dick Mountain. And then outfielder Tommy Pham. <laughs> and then we all know about first baseman Eric Hosmer, who came to the Cubs, and that was not um, didn't work out that well. The big move they did make is they were able to extend Rafael Devers. So that was a, a big move that made Boston fans at least a little bit happier. But they are doing better this year, Dustin. Uh, they're five games above 500 at 48 and 43. But get this, in the AL Central, that puts them in last place
2: in the AL East It puts. Hey, it in hey, last I'm sorry place.
0: AL East god it would not put the AL them
2: Central. it would put them it would put them about uh, 5 games ahead in the AL Central <laughs> that's so funny though i mean exactly it just shows you how crazy this year has gone with the, both the centrals both the AL and NL sense.
0: Yeah, the, the the Red Sox finished the first half hot, going eight and two in their last ten with a five game winning streak. So it's similar to what we talked about when the Cubs had to go to like you know London. It's like God, we're playing so good, we don't want them to go anywhere, or screw up, you know. Right. You know, all of a sudden the red our break
2: came at the wrong time for the Red Sox.
0: <laughs> Absolutely.
2: All right, so let's take a look, Crowley. Game number one, Friday night, we get the Professor leading things off for the Cubs.
0: Yep. Kyle Hendricks coming out of the gate. And uh, like I said, he was a welcome return Uh, and he doesn't have a win in his last three games, but it's not really, I wouldn't blame him too much. Um, 5.2 innings. He went against the Yankees, four earned runs. He didn't factor into the decision against Milwaukee. He went six innings. He gave up one earned run, didn't factor in the decision in that one. And against the Phillies, he went seven innings pitch, give eight hits, three earned runs didn't factor on that or he would, he took the loss on that. So three earned runs, but, but you kind of see what you're getting with him and remember that, you know, he gave up the four earned runs against the Yankees, but one of them was a home run that only was a home run in Yankee stadium. So it's like, whatever, man. But I I think he's been pitching well and he is a guy that is going to give you a chance to, uh, to win the game.
2: Absolutely. Always gives you a chance. Always keeps it in there. And uh, I think he'll be uh, absolutely motivated to uh, put on a good show.
0: Now he's going to be going up against youngster uh, Brian Bello, age 24. This is his second year, and he's at six and five with a 3.04 ERA. He again he got really hot at the end here against Texas. He went seven innings and only gave up two earned runs. Against Miami, he went seven innings and gave up one earned run. And against the White Sox, he went 6.2 innings and he gave up only one earned run. So right now, the Cubs are going to have – this is not going to be a uh, simple game for them. This is going to be a lot tougher than they uh, anticipate. Uh, Bello has started out kind of – he struggled a little bit. He had a couple games that kind of, you know, put put the numbers higher up on the R-A, But but I'm just looking at his last, you know – all his starts lately, and they've all been two, one, zero runs that he's given up. So Cubs are going to have to try to do something against this kid. They've yep. never faced bats him are have
2: to. Bats are going to have to be there. So game number two is the game I'm most worried about, Crowley. It's uh, Drew Smiley. And as we pointed out, as we recap the first half, he has started to go the wrong direction. He's been walking guys and giving up a lot of home runs.
0: Yeah, and that that that's what has you worried here is that, you know, against the Yankees, and he's not giving you any depth, which is killing the bullpen. Against the Yankees, he went four innings pitched, and he gave up four earned runs, and they took the loss on that one. Against Milwaukee, he didn't he wasn't, didn't factor, but he only went 3.2 innings, so he didn't get out of the fourth, and he gave up three earned runs. And then against the Phillies, he didn't get out of the fourth inning, he gave up seven earned runs. So this is a guy, you know, where Bello is trending in the right direction, Smiley's trending in the wrong direction. So this, like you said, this is one that has me very nervous. You do wor- worry about the walks and all those things, you know, four walks, three walks. And then before that he had one work versus Philly, but then five against Pittsburgh. So he's just not finishing guys off. He needs to really kind of get working on this one.
2: Yeah. And who's he taking on in this one?
0: He is taking on James Paxton, five and one with a 273 ERA. So (laughs) Cubs, Cubs definitely have their work cut out for him this series right here. And so when you take a look at Paxton's numbers, um, you know he missed a little time. He had a hamstring injury earlier in the year, but he has started ten games, five and one with the two seventy three ERA. And this is why the Red Sox were hot going into the break, is their pitching man against Oakland, six innings, and he gave up two earned runs against Toronto, seven point two innings, gave up zero earned runs, and against the White Sox, he only went four innings, gave up one earned run. But but this is a this is a a very stingy pitching staff right now.
2: Yep. That's uh, again, like we said in the first game, number one, the uh, Cubs bats are better be rested and ready to go to work against the Red Sox.
0: Yeah. And then when you talk about Sunday, just a a quick note on Sunday, that is the first day that um, that Swanson, Dansby Swanson is eligible to come off the I.L. So he was on the 10-day IL. They retroed it to the Milwaukee game. So he can come back Sunday. So that's kind of just something that Cub fans should keep their eye on. Another thing Cub fans should keep their eye on is Marcus Stroman, who struggled going into the break, which kind of factored into his decision to not go to the All-Star game. Against Milwaukee, he went five innings, gave up four runs. Against Cleveland, Seven point, or 5.2 innings, he gave up five runs. And against St. Louis, he only went 3.1. That was the blister and gave up three runs. So hopefully Marcus... Kind of got what he needed, got the rest that he needed, and, uh, you know, is able to come out of the gate strong like he pretty much pitched the entire season.
2: Yep. Fingers crossed that he got the time off that he uh, deserved and that the uh, finger is going in the right direction. And I'm sure he's gotten his mind right. Who is he facing off against?
0: He's facing off against Cutter Crawford, which I like that name for a pitcher, Cutter And so um, Cutter Crawford, he doesn't go really deep into games against Texas four innings. He gave up three earned runs against Toronto 5.2 innings and gave up two earned runs. And against the White Sox, he went six innings and gave up four earned runs. So he's a guy that, you know, you can elevate that pitch count early, be selective against this guy, don't be swinging wild. And like I said, he doesn't really last very long into games.
2: All right, so fingers crossed it all works out then, right? That that looks like a – Looks like a winnable game. Let's get into the uh, hot knot. not. A little hard to tell, but hot knot not since we last uh, saw them play.
0: Yeah, so hopefully everybody comes out hot. Like Cody Bellinger was in a really good place. He was seven for his last 14. Two home runs and four RBIs. He was slashing 500, 563, and 1,000. Seiya Suzuki was four for his last 14 with a home run and two RBIs. He was slashing 286, 313, and 500. For the Cubs, as far as the knots are concerned, uh, Ian Happ was struggling when we kind of were leaving uh, that was He was one for his last 14. He was 0.071, 278, 0.071. So no home runs, no RBIs. So that was a really bad ending for Ian Happ. And then Christopher Morrell, you know how he goes in his slumps, one for 13, slashing 0.077, 0.250, 0.164.
2: Well, I think they've got to get Christopher Morrell a spot to settle in at. And hopefully that's going to be third base for the majority of the time when it makes sense.
0: We'll see what happens. You know, it's, um, you know, I, we don't know about Magical and that hamstring. He was looking really good when he was yep. um, healthy. So um, I, you don't know how much longer they're going to have patience with Patrick Wisdom. I just, I, I don't know about them kind and of. You got to
2: keep Talkman in the lineup when it makes sense, right? I mean, it's. Uh...
0: Right. It's tough
2: to juggle, tough to juggle right now. I'm just,
0: I'm thinking about the right position for him. And, and I mean, I guess you could go with third base, but you're, people are going to have to understand you're going to lose games because of that. And you're going to have errors that, that are going to keep pitcher, going to cause pitchers issues. So we'll see.
2: All right. So let's get the uh, Red Sox hot and not for them.
0: Hot is Jaron Duran is hot for them right now. If you look at Jared Duran, he had six hits in his last 11 at-bats with a home run and four RBIs, so that puts him slashing 545, 545, 1.091. Another guy that you could take a look at, uh, Justin Turner, DH, and six for his last 14 with three RBIs. He always seems to hit the Cubs really well, slashes uh, 429, 529, 500 in his last seven games.
2: Yep, the big red guy for the – now the Red Sox, he ties right in. All right, they're not. Who's not going to do well against the Cubs?
0: Well, we hope Rafael Devers doesn't do well against the Cubs. He's three for his last 14, but he does have four RBIs, so he's slashing 241, 353, 357. They've also had uh, their struggles with shortstop. Enrique Hernandez is their everyday shortstop. He's two for his last 14 with zero home runs, two RBIs. He's slashing 143, 200 and 143 in his last seven days.
2: Very, very good. That That's good in a good way. And, you know, the bad, their bad is good for us. That's what I'm hoping.
0: Right. And so, you know, let's get ready to rumble. Let's get ready to start this weekend, you know?
2: All right. Prediction time, Crowley. I'll go first this time. I'll make the birthday boy sit there and sweat it out a little bit. I'm going to go uh, two out of three. I'm going to say they're going to win on Friday and Sunday. They'll lose that middle game, uh, but it'll be close.
0: I'm going to keep it positive on my birthday. I'm going, to, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to say Hendricks and Stroman are going to take it. And uh, hopefully, if they can take two out of three, just how important that would be to just kind of start and then have some easier teams after that and get on a roll and and, and show Jed and Carter that this is a team that can compete.
2: Yep, it's time to show it or it's time to see guys head out of town. That's a wrap. Don't forget to listen, download, review, and subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. Follow us on the socials, Facebook and Instagram. You can email us at flythew670gmail.com. Don't forget to wish Crowley a happy birthday. And you can watch us on YouTube by subscribing to the 670 The Score YouTube channel. Crowley, enjoy your day. Make sure you have plenty of cake and some ice cream. And uh, let's uh, get a couple of W's before we get back
0: together absolutely you remember last year the second half the cubs went on a run they can do it again go cubs it's all over